Well, good morning. My name is David. You may know me from things like the West Side YouTube channel. <laughs> it's great to have you with us. If this is your first time with us, uh, then welcome. Uh, please say hi to, uh, to, one, to me or one of the team uh, if it's your first time. If it's your first time back for a while as we're sort of all refiguring out our lives, then please also make sure you come and say hi. It is just great to see you. Uh, I kind of like, I, just, I always love seeing us and we're excited and we're back into Palm Sunday. Why don't you do this really awkward thing that we do sometimes? Just turn and wave at somebody real quick. Just look in somebody else's face and wave. Don't shake their hand. Don't do that awkward thing where like heart a conversation. Just, give, just look at a real person in the same room with you. It's just great to see a real person. That's what they look like. Um, and uh, you know, you've seen pictures of real people uh, for a while now, but <laughs> now you get to be in the flesh. It's Palm Sunday, and for Palm Sunday, I want to reflect on this idea of Jesus as prophet, as the first part of, of this kind of three-part reflection that leads us to Resurrection Sunday. Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as king. But let me begin by asking you a question, um, and this question that I want to ask or rather what I want you to think about is a question that I think we're asked regularly in our lives. In fact, my suspicion is we're asked the question daily. Uh, probably you have already been asked this question today. Uh, if you haven't already been asked this question, it's unlikely you'll make it to bed without being asked the question. You might get asked it explicitly. Perhaps you've been asked it implicitly. It's impossible to go to your Tim's server and not be asked the question. It's very difficult to get through a drive-through without being asked the question. Restaurant hosts ask it all the time. Your mom might ask it, your dad might ask it, your partner. If it's a really good job interview, they'll ask it for you there. Absolutely at Sobeys, sometimes the dentist. <laughs> it's a common question. And, and before I ask you the question, I, I want to simply wonder about whether the question is good for us. A question that we are constantly faced and constantly presented with, but I'm, I'm going to suggest might not be the right question, might not even be a good question to ask. Do you want to know what the question is? The question is, what do you want? Just pause for a second. How many times have you been asked that question already? Look around the room, you see some people have their coffee that they got on the way in in the car, or maybe you got a drive-through breakfast, or maybe your partner asked you, you know, how you like your coffee before you packed up to come to church this morning. What do you want? Implicitly or explicitly, how many times are you asked this question every single day? What do you want? But of course, there's a question of wants. The question of wants follows the question of needs, doesn't it? We talk about needs and wants, wants and needs. And we're kind of taught early on in our life how to distinguish between the two. It feels like, you know, when you go to parent school, they teach you that that's one of the really important things you should help your kids with, right? You guys don't do parent school in Canada? Uh, no. <laughs> But you've been in one of those situations, haven't you, where you've watched, you've watched somebody talking to their child, and the child presents an argument to their parent. The child presents the argument. You know the argument. You've seen it. Even if you don't have children, you've seen this argument take place in public. The argument goes like this, but I need it. Have you ever heard that? And the length of time between the N and the D tells you the child's desire for the thing. 
but I need, and if you have to breathe halfway through, like it's really a serious thing. And then the parent responds with, no, you don't need it. What you mean is you want it, because when you really need something, what you deeply appreciate is a grammar lesson. <laughs> like, like that really helps you come to terms with what's going on. And the parent says, no, you don't need it. You want it, but you don't actually need this something. But perhaps a question for us as adults, do we know the difference? Can I differentiate between what I need and what I want? Well, let me speak to my privilege just for a second. I live a really comfortable life. In terms of, like, I mean, I'm, I'm up here talking about needs and wants after Yana's presentation just a few moments ago. Like, like, my life has immense levels of comfort about it. I mean, I took on a career as a pastor. I mean, this is a highly paid profession. And, <laughs> and <laughs> but, but, like, I, I accept the fact that most of my days, and I wonder if you would relate to this as well, most of my days, needs are assumed. Like the actual, the actual things that I go through, in fact, for many of us in the Western context, I know not all, but for many of us in the Western context, our basic needs are assumed for the course of the day. We just know they'll happen. We know we have what it takes to survive the day out. It's only an accident that will perhaps affect that outcome. Of course, that's not true for all of the world, but for many of us, it's true for us, which means that oftentimes our questions in life are not about what we need, but about what we want. Am I actually going to get what I want today? My question so often is not, will I eat, but what will I eat? Well, the will question will be solved, so my needs are taken care of, but what? Well, that's my wants, that's my desires. And I wonder if we've ended up in a period of time where for many of us, wants and needs have gotten confused because we spend most of our time thinking about our wants. And that brings us to Palm Sunday. And I wonder if Palm Sunday is not an appropriate day to begin asking the question about needs and wants. What I'd like to suggest is that perhaps this question about needs and wants should, should guide us through Holy Week this year. Jesus comes to us as prophet, as priest, and as king. Is that what we want of Jesus, or is that what we need of Jesus? Christine read the text well for us this morning from Matthew chapter 21. The people are in this story where they're lining the streets to welcome Jesus to Jerusalem. But this story has a lot of language that we should pay attention to. A lot of things are going on in this story that we should just take note of. The people cry, Hosanna! to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they resound with that notion of Psalm 118, which we also read in our service. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna is one of these words that we use in church a lot. There's like a list of word, church words, aren't there? Hosanna, hallelujah, amen. We use them. They're all a foreign language, but we use them so frequently that they kind of feel like they're our language until one day somebody, genuinely the same kid that asked the question about what they need, says, hey, what does Hosanna mean? And at which point we realize, oh my goodness, I've been coming to church for 47,000 years and I don't know the answer. Hosanna means save us. Save us. The people lie in the streets of the entranceway to Jerusalem and they say to Jesus, save us. But save us from what exactly? What do we need salvation from? What do we want salvation from? 
from? Are these people saying save us from what they need saving from, or are they saying save us from what they want saving from? Well, pause for a moment and look more closely. This whole scene is theater, and I don't mean theater as in it's all made up. I mean, everybody is playing a part in this scene, and everybody is acting out a particular role, and the roles are all insightful. This story appears in other gospels in Mark's gospel, he tells us that the branches from the trees that they're spreading out on the road and that some of the people are even waving in Mark's gospel are palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. Nobody saw that twist coming, did they? Um, the palm branches are, are being waved at the side of the road. Is this because they couldn't find flags? Is this because nobody had time to make a banner? Is it just because there was a palm branch happening to be nearby? Or is it because the crowd are playing out culturally and contextual symbols that indicate what they think is they would like to happen here, what they want to happen? You see, about 150 years before this scene, the Maccabees drove the Romans out of Jerusalem. The Romans had, had for a long time oppressed Jerusalem, invaded it, called it their land. They had moved into Jerusalem and said, this belongs to Rome now. Interesting note, history just keeps repeating itself, doesn't it? And as the Romans had taken over Israel and Jerusalem, the people of Israel were unhappy about this because this said things about them that they didn't want to agree to. So the Maccabees eventually, behind, uh, led by a guy called Judas Maccabeus, they drove the Romans out of Jerusalem for a brief period of time. They, they came into Jerusalem, they attacked, they drove the Roman forces out, they liberated the city of God. And in celebration of the liberation of the city of God, the Maccabean people, 150 years before this scene, the Maccabean warriors entered Jerusalem and the people waved palm branches to celebrate the violent liberation of Jerusalem. In fact, they actually minted coins at this time that had palm branches as the logo kind of emblazoned into the coin. So it was possible to trade in a particular form of currency that still was around that had the palm branch on it, showing that you were in support of the liberation of Jerusalem for the Romans. Well, the Romans came back and won again, and this is where we meet us at the time of Jesus, that the Romans are back. So the people are waving palm branches at Jesus. What are the people saying? They're saying, save us. But they're saying, save us in a very particular way. They're saying, save us, but this is how we'd like to be saved. They're saying, Jesus, be like the Maccabees. Jesus, go into Jerusalem and drive out these enemies, kill our oppressors, destroy those who would come against us. Is it the salvation they need, or is it the salvation that they want? This is an interesting thing about humans is we get caught into this remarkably optimistic belief that if we keep doing the same thing, eventually what we want to happen will happen. And human history is this constant story of violent oppressors being attacked by violent defenders and violent defenders coming back with more violence and doing more violence in the hope that eventually somebody can do just about enough violence that we can stop all of the violence. I mean, if you say it like that, it's a ludicrous idea, but we are committed to it as humans to a deeply pathological level. That's why we now have bombs that can kill everybody, because we're convinced that that is how we would stop the violence. So waving of a palm branch is a symbol. It says, Jesus, we want you to save us, but we want you to save us in a very particular way. However, Jesus is over here on a donkey. <laughs> a donkey. It's like a scene from Shrek. <laughs> and, uh, 
Now, now, is it appropriate to laugh about that? I'm not sure, except that the scene is ridiculous. The scene is supposed to be ridiculous. They are waving palm branches saying, save us, mighty warrior, and he's riding on a, riding on a donkey. This would be like you lining the streets of Calgary to welcome the prime minister, and you guys are not going to do that, are you? I mean, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to relate the story, and I'm realizing this is a bad, this is a bad example. I know, know your audience, David, right? But imagine the prime minister gets off the plane on a bicycle and rides his way through the center of Calgary. I mean, it would be so bizarre to see everything about the scene. You're like, prime ministers don't ride bicycles when they arrive for official functions. That's not what they do. But it's deeper than that. Because you see, Jesus is on a donkey. He's echoing a scene from Zechariah about this king who will come. But guess what Zechariah says about this king? That he'll be humble. You see, we're used to seeing kings on chariots. We're used to seeing kings on horses of war. And they march up to the city to bring about violent, violent liberation. But here, Jesus is on a donkey showing us a different way to be in a world that's obsessed with aggression. Is this the Jesus we want, or is this the Jesus we need? And then the text tells us that the whole city was stirred. One translation says the whole city was in turmoil. Like, we need saving. That's right. They're not wrong. There is a need for Hosanna. There is a need for salvation. They are threatened. But the problem is for us, we know how we want to be saved. We know how we should be saved. We have exact reasons for what the problem is. We are all like that. This story is our story. We know the problem, and we know the solution. And for many of us, the problem is just that everybody else doesn't seem to appreciate that I know the solution. I don't know if you've spent any time on social media over the last two years. Um, right? <laughs> Let's go back into a series on habits, maybe. Have you noticed something remarkable about social media? Everybody knows the solutions to everything on Facebook. You go on Twitter, the whole world of answers is there on Twitter. What's really remarkable about social media is all these people that were, were experts in epidemiology have so quickly become experts in Crimean conflict. Like within a matter of days, they changed specialities from knowing everything there was to know about medicine to everything they they need to know about conflicts in Eastern Europe. We all know what the solution is. We all want to say, if you would just listen to me, I know the answer. We are all waving our palm branches at the side of the road saying, if you would listen to me, I know how to fix this. And then Jesus comes in on a donkey, and he's humble, and he's nonviolent, and he refuses to look like all of the other liberators that we've seen, and nobody quite knows what to do with it. There's a whole turmoil in the city. Oh, wait a minute, they're waving palm branches, so that must mean that he's the violent liberator, but wait a minute, he's on a donkey, and you don't liberate anything on a donkey, apart from maybe the occasional carrot or something like that. And so, so some people are going, well, maybe he's on a donkey because he's living out the prophecy uh, from Zechariah, and the whole turmoil is happening. Who is this? Well, this is Jesus. This is the Jesus, the prophet. The world of wants and the world of needs crash into each other. Salvation has come, but not as we expected it. And this is what prophets always do. This is what Jesus is doing here. Ah, perhaps we say, is Jesus not the Messiah? Is he not the Son of God? Yes, but he's also living out the prophetic task here. The prophets show us the way of God. The prophets show us 
The prophets, the prophets call us out of the stupor of our wants, the drunkenness of our desires. The, the prophets call us into an awareness of our needs. These people didn't need another violent rescuer. What they needed was to be rescued in a different way. Well, what did they need to be rescued from? Caesar? Yes, definitely. Roman oppression? Absolutely yes. But some of us say, ah, yes, but Jesus also came to bring spiritual rescue. Well, that's also true, but not instead of that, but including that. They needed rescue from their oppression in this world and rescue from their loss in the other world. They also needed rescue from death. Yes, definitely. But did they also need rescued from a way of thinking? from a philosophy of being right? Did they need rescued from the desire to put wants in the place of needs? And I think this is the question that Jesus brings to us. Not what do you want, but what do you need? I wonder about the unbelievable nature of religion in the 21st century. In fact, and let's, let's bring it closer to home to that. What about... What about the place of Christianity and Jesus' followers in the 21st century? Like, what if one of the reasons why Christians are so unbelievable is that what we're doing is trying to co-opt Jesus towards what we want rather than listening to what it is that we need? What if we're trying to make Jesus be the Jesus we'd really like him to be? And the Jesus that we'd really like would be the Jesus that supported my particular political position, the Jesus that agreed with my social ideology, the Jesus that defended my moral beliefs. Like that would be the Jesus that I could get behind. Or is there a different Jesus? A Jesus who's not shaped by me, but actually is trying to shape me. A survey recently asked people about what they thought about Christians and Christianity, and what was fascinating, this was a North American survey, what was fascinating is the vast majority of people that were under 40 that were asked questions about Christianity were less concerned about whether Christians spoke the truth and more concerned about whether Christians were good. Less concerned about whether Christianity is true, more concerned about whether Christianity is good. What good is it to have something that's true that doesn't cause goodness? What good is it to be true if we just become another source of brokenness in the world? If we want Jesus to be a particular way, is it possible in our attempts to shape Jesus in that particular way, we do damage to him? And see, because the thing is, this Jesus that we need rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he doesn't then get off his donkey and pull out his sword and start acting like any other king. This Jesus gets off his donkey and defends the poor in the temple, serves at a table, washes feet of his disciples. When he's betrayed, acts with humility. When he's attacked, heals the injured attacker. And when he's crucified, forgives those crucified with him and those crucifying him. Palm Sunday doesn't give us a little bizarre insight into a weird way that Jesus was sometimes. Palm Sunday shows us the way Jesus is. It shows us the Jesus that we need, this prophet of a different way of being. This is an overused quote, overused by me, but I keep reminding myself of this 
on and on because I forget it so often. Anne Lamott beautifully phrases it like this. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. (laughs) I think we need the Jesus who breaks cycles that we get caught in. The Jesus that breaks the cycles that has caused us as Jesus' followers just to mirror the brokenness of our own society and pretend that that's Christian. Cycles of division, cycles of selfishness, cycles of rights over responsibilities, cycles of indifference, violence, abuse, oppression. The Jesus we need calls us as Jesus' followers, invites us as Jesus' followers to no longer be indistinguishable from our surroundings, to think, behave, and live in a different pattern. And perhaps this is timely. The text from Palm Sunday says the whole city was in turmoil. In one, in one translation I've mentioned already, the whole city was stirred. There was all sorts of chaos. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to turmoil? <laughs> the city was in turmoil. The country was in turmoil. The world is in turmoil. And what do we get? Who is this, everybody asks. Well, this is Jesus. This is what we need. And ultimately, that's what Palm Sunday is about. That's what we bring ourselves back every year to this same place. Why do we keep telling the same story over and over again? Well, we tell the same story over and over again because we keep forgetting. In the interim year, we start picking up our palm branches again and say, Jesus, it would be much more helpful if you were like this. If you were the Jesus I wanted rather than Jesus that I needed. So my invitation for you this Palm Sunday, and perhaps this Easter week, is perhaps just to reflect on that question. What Jesus do you have? What Jesus do you want? What Jesus do you need? What I'd like to do is invite you to pause for a moment in this service and reflect on this idea. I'm going to offer three reflections for you to reflect upon. I'd love you to take a moment of silence, a deep breath, and think about it. I'll put the reflections on screen. I'm going to leave them on screen for a few moments, and we'll have some silence. And then after that, I'm going to show a prayer. And just as Phil taught us just a few weeks ago, I want to invite someone from the congregation to come and pray this prayer for us. Uh, The microphones will just be at the front of the aisles. The prayer will be on the screen. For some of you, the thought of walking to the front of the room and praying a prayer is worse than the fires of hell themselves. <laughs> and, and that is absolutely fine. You do not need to do it. But for some of you, you are like, this is the moment I have been waiting for my entire life. Um, then this is your moment, okay? <laughs> and this is your time. So what I'm going to do is lead us in this reflection, invite you to reflect. And then once I put this, the prayer on screen, uh, you can come forward and and read that prayer prayerfully for us. Uh, In the first service, it happened that a couple of people came at the same time. If that happens, we'll read the prayer twice. Uh, The prayers are good to reflect on. So please, if you happen to move at the same time, continue to come anyway, and let's have this time together. The first reflection is on this word, Hosanna, which means save us. Let me invite you just... Take a deep breath and let that breath out slowly. And as you do that, let me ask you these questions. What do you need saving from right now? Something instantly will more than likely form in your head. Perhaps you need to reflect on what that is and why it's that thing. 
what do we all need saving from right now? And then ask yourself this about both those questions. Does what we think reflect the Jesus that we need? Is what you need saving from what Jesus wants to save you from? So I invite you, let's just take a moment of silence. Invite God's Holy Spirit into our hearts just to, does this thought resonate with me? Is this something that I need to reflect on in this particular week? So let's just be silent for a moment as we think. And then here's a prayer relating to this reflection. So invite someone that feels comfortable and just come forward and lead us in this prayer at the microphones. let's just say amen together to that. Amen. Thank you. For a second reflection, let me just ask this question about the humble prophet. This procession on a donkey calls us to humility. When power seems better, so often power seems the right way. The great uh, German theologian of the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, to put down my own way of doing things and learn a new way. So let me just invite you to take a moment of silence again, invite God's Spirit to speak to you if this is for you, just ask this question, what ways do we need to let die to step closer to the humble Jesus? Just this week uh, online, I encountered this prayer from an East African revival in 1947. And I want to invite somebody to come forward and read this prayer for us this morning. Its words are a little harsh, but they, they echo what Bonhoeffer said. Its words are a little harsh, but also beautiful in the same way. So perhaps somebody would come forward and just lead us in this, in this old prayer.
Lord, bend that proud and stiff-necked eye. Help me to bend the neck and die. Beholding him on Calvary, who bowed his head for me. Amen. Again, let's just, let's just say amen together. And finally, a reflection on this holy interruption. The whole city was stirred, the text says. The whole city was in turmoil. The Ugandan theologian Emmanuel Katongole says this, this wonderful, wonderful quote, which again has some sort of uh, kind of disruptive sense about it. He says, wherever the gospel is preached, we must remember that its good news will make you crazy. Jesus will put you at odds with the economic and political systems of our world. This gospel will force you to act, interrupting the world as it is in ways that make even pious people indignant. How is the gospel interrupting us? How is Jesus marching his way into our lives on a donkey and asking us to see things differently. Or perhaps another way to ask that question, where is Jesus unexpectedly arriving in your life right now? What might be happening in your life right now that you are treating as an interruption but might be Jesus doing something through you? Let's just take a moment and reflect on that before our final prayer. And so I invite somebody to come forward and just pray about this notion of interruption. Thank you for taking the time to reflect, and I encourage you to continue to reflect on those things. I feel like how God's Spirit works amongst us sometimes is something will just hook on us. Maybe it was all the questions. Maybe it was just one of the questions. Maybe it was none of them, and all of these can be ways that God speaks to us. And thank you for leading us in prayer, those of you who did so beautifully as well. So the Jesus we want or the Jesus we need. I think this question matters because, because of what happens when we seek the Jesus we want and inevitably don't get him. See, there's many ways to read the Easter story. There's many bad ways to read the Easter story. If you've perhaps seen Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, which is not a biblical film, it's, there is no passion version in the, in the Bible, if you notice that. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then it's not Mel Gibson. 
One of the things you'll notice if you watch The Passion of the Christ, and I'm fine with people watching The Passion of the Christ, hear me well, but one of the things you'll notice that Gibson does in his directing of the film is that he tells the narrative of Jesus' death and cause of Jesus' death as very much the work of evil. If you've watched the film and can remember the film, there's this undercurrent of the powers of darkness are pushing Jesus towards the cross. The problem is that not one of the Gospels tell the story that way. Evil is not the reason that Jesus is pushed to the cross. But then there's another way of telling the story of Easter. And if you don't think too much about the humanity of Jesus, there's a way of telling the story where it's just the sort of unfolding of God's plan. The story is just, this is the way God wanted things to be, so this is how it is. But again, interestingly, that's not how the Gospels tell the story either. But the difficulty with both of these texts, that it's God's plan or the powers of evil, the difficulty is that when we read it that way, we tend to wash our hands of the story and not learn the lesson. But the week in Jerusalem that begins with Palm Sunday isn't driven by evil or mechanically pushed along by God. It's much more concerning than that. The week of Palm Sunday begins and progresses because of stuff that we see all the time. Jealousy, religious fervor, political savvy, crowd dynamics, fear, cruelty, cowardice, confusion, uncertainty, and even a decent chunk of stupidity. Holy Week is a human phenomenon. If you pay attention to the story in all four Gospels, Jesus is executed because people want it to happen. Powerful people make it happen. Crowds agree with it. And even the people that don't want it to happen don't seem able to mount a defense of it. Even the people that Jesus is loved by seem unable to see how they can stop this happening. Humans have immense power when they decide that what they're getting isn't what they want. So perhaps this from Chris Green is timely for us because it reminds us of why the gospel invitation is so important and why we should still wrestle with it. Green phrases it better than I can like this. Jesus' life ended as it did, not because the powers of evil overcame him, still less because God forced it to happen for the sake of accomplishing a predetermined plan, but because ordinary human beings, including the faithful ones, could not imagine an alternative to the injustice they found themselves enacting. Palm Sunday triggers something in the biblical story. It triggers an imagination of a different world, of a different way of being, of a solution that isn't the same solution we see rolling out day in, day out. By Good Friday, we arrive at the cross And we meet the king who dies and is raised for his enemies. And we realize this story is hugely different. But we, if we're not careful, try and drag the story over into being the story that we want, not the story that we need. So Palm Sunday comes to us in our helplessness. When things seem to be beyond us, when events are too big to control when it seems like the only way to do anything is to protest or fight in a very un-Jesus-like way, Palm Sunday comes to us and offers us something different. 
Not a brief image of something novel, but a, but a trust in the way of God, a trust in a way of being in the world that calls us to do things differently. Not just to trust that Jesus will fix it all, but to trust that Jesus in fixing it all calls us to be different. And I think that's what Palm Sunday invites us to. If the world seems broken to you, if the brokenness seems unfixable, if the hurt seems unbearable, if the systems seem unstoppable, what we get on Palm Sunday is this prophet of a new way, this call to a different way of being. That's what Palm Sunday invites us to. It's what Good Friday rescues us from. And it's what Easter Sunday calls us to trust in going forward. It's all an invitation. It's an invitation to follow not to wave your palm branches and force Jesus to be what you want, but perhaps to put down your palm branch and step towards Jesus and let him be what we need him to be. And we need him to be something in our world. Why don't you stand with me together? As you stand, let me just remind you of our journey this week at Westside. Whether it's coming to the Stations of the Cross or our guided prayer time, or whether gathering with some friends for a meal at home, we arrive ultimately at Good Friday and meet the Jesus of Calvary, who is what we need. And so I invite you to just prayerfully think about how you pause at various points. And if we can help you with that by joining in something we're doing, then please feel very welcome to join us. These are things that are happening in person, online. There's options and places to connect as well. But I want to invite you to benedict with me this morning by reciting our creed together. I know that we've been saying the creed a lot recently. And it's because when we come to moments like this and we're asked to trust in Jesus on a donkey, it feels far out. And it's a good point for us to stop and just remind ourselves of what we believe, to hear our voices together say, yes, we do believe this. And as we say this creed, my invitation is to, at some level, without sounding strange, to hear beyond just this room. The reason we say the Apostles' Creed is not only is it 1,800 years old, so a lot of people have said this throughout the years, a lot of Christians have confessed this, but even this morning around the world, different Christians will have been confessing this creed. This creed has this line about the Holy Catholic Church, and what that speaks to is the Protestants and the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox and the Presbyterians, all of whom are reciting this, reminding us that the Jesus that came into Palm Sunday on a donkey is the Jesus that we all need, not just in this room, but around the world and throughout history. So if you're comfortable, then perhaps as a benediction today, let us recite what we believe together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.
and amen. May you go into this holy week with God's grace and peace upon you.